everybody. Thank you for coming out tonight. I know there's a uh, full parking lot out there, so several meetings at St. Gerard, as there always are. Uh, you chose the right meeting to come to, so thank you for being here. Uh, the fifth week of Lent, uh, we're, almost, we're almost to Easter. Uh, our speakers have been provided, as they have been throughout Lent, by St. Joseph Evangelization Network at no cost. But there's a free will offering basket in the back, so your generous donations will help to support them. Tonight, our, our speaker is uh, Diane Gerard, and it's an inside joke in our parish, but note that it's pro pronounced Gerard, not Jared, to those of you who may have been around the parish for a while. It's Diane Gerard. Wife, mother, grandmother, Diane is a devout Catholic. She has been married to her husband, Ray, for 36 years. They've lived in the St. Louis area and have been members of Assumption Parish in O'Fallon since 2015. They have two daughters and two granddaughters, and they are also watched over by babies from heaven. Prior to medical issues, Diane oversaw pay and benefits for several global organizations. She experienced an event at Eucharistic Adoration while on a pilgrimage to a Marian apparition site in March of 2012. She has been speaking and write about this event ever since. We look forward to hearing about that event tonight, so we welcome Diane up to our AMBO. Uh, good evening, everyone. Um, I'm really happy to be here. Uh, you have a beautiful church, uh, and it's Lent, and it's such a wonderful time of the year, and so I feel especially grateful to be here with you during this time. Um, I uh, had an experience uh, back in March of 2012. We, we were on a uh, pilgrimage at the time, and uh, it really changed my life. It is something that has just um, turned my whole life around, and um, I, I would like to share a little bit uh, about that with you, as well as um, some other thoughts since then. Uh, it's interesting because the pilgrimage that we went on, uh, I was making every excuse in the book not to go. Uh, Ray and I had been planning this pilgrimage uh, for a couple years, and I had made sufficient excuses in the prior years that we didn't go. But that year, uh, Ray said to me, okay, if you don't want to go, I'll go by myself. Uh, so, of course, I went. And uh, I, as we were leaving for the trip, uh, we were backing uh, the car out of the driveway, and I told Ray, stop the car, and we ran back into the house. And I went up to this old uh, jewelry box that I had and dug way in the back of this jewelry box was a rosary that my grandmother had given to me uh, and it was from my father's first communion. I had, didn't even really remember that I had it and I probably had it for 20 years. I certainly didn't remember exactly where it was. So Blessed Mother was with me. She took me right to this rosary. At that point, my father had been suffering from cancer for about 10 years, and he and I were uh, estranged, to put it mildly. But my intention was to take this rosary and pray on it during uh, our pilgrimage and then take it, uh, take it back to him and give it to him with all the prayers that we had received from the pilgrimage. We went to this Marian apparition site. Um, I had never seen anything like it in my life. I've never, we had never been on a pilgrimage before. And every place we went was just 
uh, heartwarming and magical, and you just felt the love of all the people around you. And I, in my job, I used to travel all over the world. Um, I've been to China multiple times, India, a, a number of places. And I've never been in a place that just felt, I just felt so much love radiating the whole time. Well, the, the very first day, the next morning, uh, we all went to confession. And there were booths. Um, for the priests that were giving confession, and they put these little signs up, German or English or French or whatever, and you would stand outside these booths uh, with the priests who spoke your language, because there were pilgrims from all over the world. But overflow to these booths were priests that were sitting on benches and, and so on. And so I went up to this priest that was sitting on a little rock wall, you know, just outside the church. And like I said, I was pretty closed up at that time. I, I was really reluctant to be there. And I sat down and I started saying to this, you know, when I started saying, bless me, Father, for I have sinned. And I said to the priest, I am broken. And he looked at me with so much love in his eyes. And he said, being broken is not a sin. Tell me your sins. And so the words popped out of my mouth, I hold grudges. And that was it. That was the little crack in the door. That was the only crack that Jesus and Blessed Mother needed to start touching my heart for the rest of the week. Um, behind the church, there was this little uh, area that had voltive candles and uh, seats, little benches up and uh, at the, the vault of candles were under the feet of Jesus and surrounding this life-size cross, crucifix of Jesus. And underneath that crucifix was a little, like a little fountain and the water just kind of babbled. And all week I was drawn to this little area. And before I had left, I had asked people around me, the people I knew, our family and friends and people from work, for their intentions. And I had them all written down and I would sit in this votive cove and I would pray all of those, those uh, intentions that were in uh, where I had written them in my journal. And every, all week, every time we had a few minutes, I was just drawn to this, this little cove. Well, the very last day that we were there, we were supposed to have, the English mass was, I think, at 10 a.m. We were supposed to have mass at 10, but the priest was uh, uh, did, uh, late for some reason. And so I had a few minutes, so of course I wandered right back over to my little votive cove, and I was praying my intentions. And all of a sudden there was this little brown bird, and he was playing in the water. And he was the happiest little bird I had ever seen. He was dipping his wings in the water and flapping them and splashing water everywhere, and he kept doing it. And, I, and it made me notice, really, the crucifix in a way I hadn't the rest of the week. And um, the day before, the reading was from Ezekiel, right, the Old Testament. I really hadn't paid much attention to it my whole life. But it was the reading from Ezekiel where the water flows from the east side of the temple. 
and it flows out and then it, it gets to be ankle deep and then it gets to be knee deep and then it gets to be so deep that you can't even wade across, you have to swim across because there's so much of the water that's there. And in this reading it says everything that that water touches, it makes fresh. And all of a sudden I realized that was the, the blood from the side of Christ. And it was blowing, uh, flowing down and it was all the blessings that flowed from the side of Christ were so deep and so magnificent that we couldn't even we can't even imagine it. And there's so much love there. And all of a sudden, this reading from Ezekiel, who I, like, I never even thought about Ezekiel before, but it really touched me. So the very, uh, that very night, we were, we were all getting together at this restaurant and uh, or usually we get together at this restaurant but before that we were at mass and then we were at eucharistic adoration and we were going to be leaving the next morning about three o'clock in the morning to take the bus back and the planes and so on but we're going to leave about three o'clock in the morning and i thought i had made it through the week that i was okay that this but we were at eucharistic adoration and in this church, this church was completely, completely packed. Um, it was so full and flowing out the back that there were people kneeling in the aisles, sitting in the aisles, in wheelchairs, standing, every little space. And literally, if you kind of leaned over on your hip one way or the other, you wouldn't get that space back. There were that many people. And uh, you, just, you just can't even imagine how many people were, were packed into this church. I was standing um, against, uh, like right at the last pew, right in the center of the church. And I had a beautiful view of the altar and the monstrance. And there was a crucifix uh, on a little pole off to the right. And off to the right of that was a statue of Blessed Mother. So I'm standing there and you know they bring out the monstrance and I'm praying and I start praying on the two rosaries that I had. So this, this peach pearl one and the silver one that was my father's. And all of a sudden I realize that I'm not praying uh, the Hail Mary on the beads or the Our Father, but I am praying the Fatima prayer. Oh my Jesus, forgive us our sins save us from the fires of hell lead all souls to heaven especially those in most need of thy mercy and i am praying this on every bead over and over again and i'm, I'm more deeply in prayer than i had ever been in my life and the tears are just streaming down my face and as fast as i would get through the the prayers on one set of beads, I would grab the other rosary and I would start praying again on the other rosary. And I went over and over again. All of a sudden, everything fell away and the host just grew very large and very bright. It was glowing and it took up the space above the altar and there was an archway above the altar and it just filled that entire space. And I didn't see the monstrance or anything else, just the host. The host was there. 
And I continued to pray and look at this host, and all of a sudden I realized I was no longer praying the Fatima prayer. Um, one thing I should say about that is I didn't know at the time it was called the Fatima prayer. I didn't even really know the prayer. Okay? Somehow along the, my Catholic education and so on, I missed that prayer. And I knew we kind of prayed it when we were praying the rosary every day, but I let other people pray it. I didn't even really know the words, but I kept praying it over and over. But all of a sudden, I was no longer praying the Fatima prayer. What I was, what I was, I was a witness to a soul. And the soul was on the brink between heaven and hell. And the soul was walking away from Jesus. His back turned and he was walking away from Jesus. So in my mind, I am screaming, don't choose hell. Don't choose hell. Don't choose hell. Look at his eyes. Look at his love. Look at his mercy. And I just had this, this sense that if he just caught the tiniest glimpse of Jesus's eyes that he wouldn't choose hell. And I'm saying he, I don't know if it was a he or she, but he wouldn't choose hell. And I'm screaming in my mind, don't choose hell over and over and over again. And there's this pain that is shooting down my back. Um, think of it like, like searing hot like lightning bolt, but it was constant. It was straight down my back. And it was just a very, very powerful. And the next thing I know, I'm talking to Jesus, and I'm saying, don't let him choose hell. You must save the soul. You must save one soul, 10 souls, 100, a million, a billion souls. And I'm screaming this in my, in my mind, and I'm saying to him, you know, look one more time, Jesus. Just look one more time. And then I was back to the soul, and I was saying, don't choose how. Look one more time. Look at his mercy. Look at his love. Don't choose how. So at some point, um, our, a friend of ours that was with us tried to move me into uh, one of the pews. And I really resisted that because I was so afraid to break whatever this was. But eventually he got me into the pew and I was kneeling in the pew. And all of a sudden I felt what felt like a hug. And it was soft as feathers, it was warm, it was comforting. It went from my back to my front, and it just embraced my whole body. I had a sensation that it was blue, which is a very strange thing to think of a feeling or a hug being a color, but I, I had a sensation that it was blue, a, a, a sky blue, but a, like a blue like I've never seen. And instantaneously, when the hug came around me, the pain in my back was just gone. I, I can't even tell you, I mean, there wasn't even a fraction of a second. It just was completely gone. The next thing I know, Ray is shaking me and he's saying, we have to go. And 
at this point, we're like the, we are the last people in the church. They're turning off the lights. Everything is gone. The monstrance is gone. All these people, these hundreds and hundreds of people are gone. I have no recollection of them taking the monstrance away. I have no recollection or I didn't hear the people leaving. I, don't, I didn't know that they left. I've been crying the entire time. So I didn't think my legs could even carry me out of the church. So Ray helps me out of the church and there's just a few steps out the doors and then there's like three steps. So I sat, sat down on the steps and I said to him, I just can't do this, this is too hard. And he just said to me, pray. So we tried to go over across the street to after a few minutes, we go across the street to where all the folks that we were on the pilgrimage were, but of course, it's really noisy in there. And I tried to tell some of our friends what was going on, and they're nodding, and they didn't really hear me. They didn't really know what was going on. And, but I, I, I uh, went over, Ray and I went over to our tour guide and talked to him about it, and he just asked, was that during adoration? And we said yes. So we, we take the airplane ride home, and I start races, write it down. And I start writing, and I'm writing so fast, my hand is just aching. And I was just in complete awe. And it was the scariest moment of my life, but I was just completely filled with awe and wonder. I really thought, that it was just this wonderful thing. And I thought, everything I've been taught through my whole, my whole life as a Catholic is true. It's all true. There's really a heaven. There's really a hell. Jesus and Blessed Mother are going to be there when we, when we move on from this life to the next. Jesus and Mary want to save all of our souls. And so I couldn't help but tell my story to just about everybody. And I felt that all these blessings that God gives us were like golden raindrops. And they flow on us all the time, but we don't know that they're there. But they're continually flowing down from the Lord. And they're warm and they feel like a spring rain. And they're so happy, these blessings are so happy to be doing the will of the Father that when they hit the ground, they bounce up with joy. They just bounce. So following this uh, event, and I don't know what to call it otherwise, little words started meaning everything to me. Every soul, all souls, each of us, those little words that we see in Bible readings or we hear at mass or whatever meant everything. Because when Jesus says all souls, he means all souls. When he wants to save every one of us, he means every single one of us. And he and Blessed Mother are gonna fight that hard for every soul. So when I would tell my story to people, there were lots of questions. Um, who was the soul? I don't know. And um, the other question was, what happened to the soul? 
I don't know that either. I don't think we're meant to know. I think it would be too easy for us to know what happened. We would make excuses about why we're different than that soul. But it's very, very curious. Since that event, I have had no curiosity at all about who the soul was or what happened to the soul. I'm content that we're not supposed to know. Um, what did it all mean? I, I do think it means that Jesus and Mary will be with us as we make our final choice of heaven and hell. I don't, they don't want to lose any soul, not even one. People ask me, what did you see? Was it a vision? I don't know what to call it. The only thing I saw was the host. I didn't see the monstrance, I didn't see the people, I didn't see Jesus, I didn't see the soul. I felt like I was in the event, immersed in it, almost like being in water, you know, feeling of, let's say, being in water, but I had no influence on the event. Even my screaming in my head had no influence on the soul. The soul was making his or her own choice. I do believe Jesus heard my prayers. I did not hear anybody leave the church. Um, the pain that was in my back, I believe, was the agony that Jesus and our Blessed Mother feel when a soul turns away from heaven. Why the Fatima prayer? Well, it's a prayer directly to Jesus. And it's a desperate prayer for a desperate time in our world. Save all souls, right? Save us from the fires of hell. Oh my Jesus, forgive us our sins. The other thing that really captured me at that time and caused me to pray a very long time and very often was how could I dare to scream at Jesus to save these souls, to save one soul, 10, 100, a million, a billion. It wasn't a request, it was a demand, and it was in my head, and it was over and over and over again. And for the longest time, I felt like I had, you know, it was very audacious to uh, scream that way at Jesus. But o over time and through prayer, I came to realize that's what I was supposed to do. That's what we're all supposed to do. We're all supposed to pray with our whole heart and with compassion and feeling. And God knows what we need. He knows it before we even ask. But we need to ask. There's a, uh, a passage from Isaiah where Ahaz is, is told to ask God for anything, ask for something as big as the sky or as deep as the netherworld. And Ahaz says, I will not ask, I will not tempt the Lord. And uh, Isaiah says to him, will you weary? You know, it's not enough that you weary men, you're gonna weary our God. God has told you to ask for something as big as you can imagine. And you're saying you're not going to ask. Well, if you had a moment with Jesus, what would be the most important thing to ask? To save people's souls, right? Everything else. I mean, yes, 
a new job would be nice or a cure for cancer or, you know, our brothers or something to stop fighting or whatever. But really, it's about saving their souls. And a billion souls isn't enough. There's a billion souls that believe in Jesus right now in this earth. So it's not as big as even Jesus can think. And so it's, it was just uh, an amazing, amazing event. Obviously, the most difficult question was, why would anybody choose hell? And it took many, many years of prayer and reflection. I, I prayed on it for a very long time. Um, I felt I should write this story. I felt compelled to write this story uh, and to share it with people from the moment it happened. I felt guilty that I hadn't been writing it. It took me 10 years to get through uh, writing it. This is now 2022. And, and I also, I mean, I went to confession. I don't know how many times I confessed that I, I was dawdling and writing this story. And I began to withhold the story. I began not telling people about the story. And I, I was thinking, what would people think of me? Would they believe me and all these things? So we had a healing, uh, a healing service at a mass one time. And, um, our priest, our pastor, had called people up onto the altar, and he did, uh, he anointed, you know, our hands with oil, and he anointed our head, and he touched the side of my face, and in the moment he touched the side of my face, this electricity uh, went through my body, and this is, this is years after this had uh, the first event had happened, and I, it makes me think of that uh, the line from the 23rd Psalm, he anoints my head with oil and my cup overflows. And what happened was as soon as that happened for the next several weeks, I wrote and did all these things in my journal and all these answers to my prayers were just flowing out of me. And I started collecting uh, little, uh, like, I would cut out the readings for the day and I would keep them on these scraps of paper and I would tape them in my journal and they were all over the house. Literally, ask my husband and daughter, they were all over the house. There was these little scraps of paper with the readings on. They were on the kitchen table. They were under the kitchen table. They had fallen off the kitchen table. They were in my bedroom. They were all over the house. They were, I mean, there was a while there, I think we went four or five months without eating at the kitchen table because there were so many of these little, these readings scraps all over the house. And one day Ray says to me, well, what are you gonna do with all of these things? You're gonna have to like organize them somehow. So he sat down and I don't know, it took about an hour or whatever, and he tried to put them in piles or something, and I said, I don't think it's going to happen that way. And uh, he just gave up because there was just so many of them, and there was just no way to organize them. But slowly, um, what started to emerge through these prayers and reading these, these certain the passages, the theme of the book came, uh, came to be. And what the theme of the book is, is that God has given us the gift of free will. And it's up to us 
It's up to our free will choices, how we live our life, and what we choose at that moment of our death. The ultimate choice is for eternity with God or for darkness and hell. And we're going to be given that choice at the moment of our death. And we need to be prepared to make that choice. And how do we know that it's true? It's all in the Bible. The answers are all in the Bible. What we do in life sets us up for that final choice. But we're very fortunate in that God has given us a shepherd and a map. He's given us Jesus and the Bible. So today, I lay before you life and prosperity, death and doom. The words I give you are life and death, the blessing and the curse. Choose life then that you and your children will live. I'd like to take credit for that quote but that's actually Moses after he gave the people the Ten Commandments. It's very powerful. So why are those Ten Commandments a blessing in life? God gave us a path and a way of life and a path to eternal life. Why is it a curse and death? Because now we know and we can't say we didn't know. Choose life then. Let's look at the New Testament. Let's look at the Our Father. Jesus gave us the Our Father. We prayed it this evening. In the current translation of the Our Father, in Luke and in Matthew, the final line is, do not subject us to the final test. Matthew adds, and deliver us from the evil one. That is what I encountered, that final test and an encounter with the evil one. The final test is that choice between heaven and hell. The evil one, obviously, is Satan. We have one final chance in that last moment of our lives, or before death, uh, to get it right. We have one final choice. The good news from the adoration event is that Jesus and Mary they were with that soul and were fighting very hard for that soul. They would do anything for that soul not to choose hell. They will be with you as well and they fight for every, uh, every soul. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. So whose voice will you follow? Will you follow Jesus's voice or the voice of the evil one? And it's not as easy as it may sound or I wouldn't have had to have that encounter. If Jesus were standing in front of us with, in all his glory and the evil one were standing there showing his true self, I dare say no one would choose hell. So how will it be for us? That soul was obviously walking away from Jesus. We hear about judgment by God, but what if it's really our choice whether we go to heaven or hell? What if that free will really is our gift from God? What if our choice is clouded by our life's actions? Where we are at the moment of death in our, in our own journey is dependent upon 
the choices we make in this life. Um, I think about my grandmother, I think about my mother-in-law, people like Sister or, or, uh, uh, Mother Teresa. These people long ago in their lives made the choice for Jesus. The evil one could be there tempting them with whatever, but they're never gonna make the choice of hell. They're gonna walk right in. I picture my grandmother and my mother-in-law walking through the gates of heaven, blessed mother walking up to them and saying, hey, great, you're here, let me show you around. You know. So, but, and, and I think there's people that live their lives closer to the darkness. And for them, Jesus and Mary will be there, but maybe it's like a night sky with a tiny, tiny speck of light. They'll be there, but they're so far into the darkness that it, it may be hard for them to recognize Jesus or Blessed Mother. I think for the most of us, we're someplace in the middle, that we're gonna be someplace in a fog and, or like a fog, and, the, and Jesus will be there to tell us the truth, and the devil will be there to tempt us with the things that lured us or tempted us in our own life. Um, there, the temptations that the, that the evil one will lure us with are the ones that they, he tempted us with and we succumb to in this life. As we make our choices, we need to discern the truth. God cannot lie, he will not lie. God will not tempt you to sin. That's from St. James. And every good and perfect gift is from God, also from St. James. From St. John, we hear, when the devil lies, he speaks in character. He is a murderer and the father of lies. He will lure you with your own desires. How do we know that God will not tempt us? From St. James, no one experiencing temptation should say, I am being tempted by God, for God is not subject, subject to temptation to evil, and he himself tempts no one. Rather, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. But we can also think about how Jesus sent out the disciples. He sent them out without a second tunic, no money, no extra clothes, not even a walking stick. He just sent them out with nothing but the word. They had nothing to offer anybody who heard them except the word. Jesus doesn't make any promises, earthly promises to us other than he will be with us. But let's look at how the devil tempted Jesus in the desert. The first thing he tempts Jesus with is bread. Because Jesus has been out in the desert for 40 days. He's hungry. Then he tempts Jesus with power and glory. And lastly, he says to Jesus, Take, go up to the top of the temple and throw yourself off because the angels will protect you and you won't even stub your toes. So protect him from all harm. It's exactly the opposite of how Jesus sent out the disciples. He sent them out with nothing but the word. But the devil tempts us with money, with food, with power and glory and protection from all harm in this lifetime. It's exactly the opposite of what God promises. God promises instead only his love and he promises us eternity. 
He promises to be with us when things go wrong, not that nothing will ever go wrong. And he sends us to help one another. So whose voice do you listen to in this, in this life? Whose voice will be more familiar to you in that moment, that final choice? How many chances do we get? Well, we can think about the weeds among wheat parable. And in the weeds among wheat, the weeds are growing up with the wheat. And they want to cut the weeds out. And the man who planted them says, no, let the weeds stay. Maybe the weeds will be redeemed. Leave them among the wheat. And he wants to make sure that he can save all as much as he can. So what do we have to do? Obviously, the way to be saved is to repent and to be reconciled with God. I then declared my sin to you, my guilt I covered not. It's from Psalm 32. So Jesus is the answer. We all know that. This is Lent. We're spending our time thinking about how we can be better in our lives. We must, in order to receive God's mercy, we must accept the offering. That's what free will means. Stop judging and you will not be judged. Stop condemning and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and gifts will be given to you. So how do we choose Jesus? How do we choose heaven? First of all, do not be afraid. In the, in the Bible, it says, do not be afraid in one form or another 365 times in the Bible. One last story, I know it's getting late. Uh, my favorite story in the book, it's the story of Doubting Thomas. We all know this story, right? About a week after Jesus is crucified, all the disciples are locked in a room. They're afraid of the Romans. But Jesus comes and stands among them, and he says, peace be with you. But Thomas wasn't there at that time. So they, they're all excited, and they tell Thomas, we have seen the Lord. What an amazing thing. They've seen the Lord. And Thomas says, I'm not going to believe unless I can put my, hand, my fingers into the nail parts, and I can put my hand in his side. So a week later, they're back in this room, this locked room, and Jesus comes in, and he says, peace be with you again, and he walks up to Thomas, and he says, here, look at the nail marks in my hand, and put your finger in them, and put your hand in my side, and stop being unbelieving, but believe. And Thomas says, my Lord and my God. Jesus, think about what that would take. He has just been crucified. He has humbled himself, and he's gone through the torture of being crucified, and yet he humbles himself to Thomas to say, here, put, put your fingers in my hand and put your hand in my side. And if that's what we need to believe in him, he will do the same for us. If at that final moment, we need Jesus to show us his hands and his side, he would humble himself for us just the same so that we 
would go with him to heaven. Well, how do we know, how can we know that Jesus would do that for us? Well, the passage right before the Doubting Thomas passage is when Jesus goes into the room with the disciples at locked room. And I always thought Jesus could go through locked doors and locked hearts. But he goes into this room, and when he says, peace be with you, to the rest of the disciples, the next words are, and he showed them his hands and his side. He showed all of them his hands and his side. And none of us can say that there's not a little bit of doubting Thomas in all of us. But it's such a comfort to know that if that's what we need in order to believe, Jesus would humble himself even to that, to take us to heaven. So thank you uh, for letting me be here. Uh, Thank you for listening to my story. Uh, May you choose heaven. May you choose Jesus. May you also spread the good news. Jesus tells us, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Thank you. May you hear God's voice always. So it's a great story of faith and love and uh, certainly encouragement and comfort to know that Jesus and the Blessed Mother will be with us at the very end. Uh, Diane, didn't, she mentioned her book, but she was too modest to hold it up. Her book, Choosing Heaven, is available uh, for purchase in the narthex, if, if you so wish. Uh, so please take a look at that. Uh, next week, we have our final speaker, and uh, this one, I'm all, I look forward to all of our speakers. Our speaker next week, uh, Deacon Dave Osmack, a personal friend of uh, Deacon Dolan, he's going to speak on redemptive suffering. Uh, Deacon Dolan said he, you know, Deacon, Deacon Osmack's wife had died within the last year, so I think this would be a very powerful story. And hearing about redemptive suffering uh, Wednesday before Holy Thursday before Easter, the timing couldn't be better. So uh, please come back next week, uh, bring your friends, bring your family, and uh, thank you very much. Good night. <laughs>